there is equal playing field where you can't even tell who's who or who's running what because it is so diverse it displays everyone and i think that until we get to that point then we're still going to be an industry that is divided you are listening to the in full frame podcast in full frame is the go-to resource for wedding professionals featuring news from all across our industry and original articles from our industry's leaders. I'm your host, Lance Nicole, and you can find more on infullframe.com. Enjoy the show. So today we are talking with Andrew Roby. Andrew is a wedding and event planner based out of Washington, D.C. He's also a leader in our industry. And uh, Andrew, is it fair to say generally the best dressed guy in the room? <laughs> I, I try to be, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> I saw some of those suits, man, uh, on your site and on Instagram. And I was like, wow, I need to talk to Andrew. I need to get set up here. I like it. I was not prepared for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good. Um, how's life? Uh, it's, I mean, honestly, it is, every day is, is a blessing. I honestly have been taking every day. Uh, as its own and decided over the last, this is the week and a half mark that I've actually not been on social media as far as like my personal pages and things like that. I've only been focusing on work uh, because I just honestly need to cleanse my body, my system, my mind, my spirit from a lot of the negative stuff that's been happening. And of course, you know, We've been dealing for the last, what, 21, 22 days or so um, after George Floyd uh, died and, you know, other people consequently after that. And so it's just been it's been a lot, (laughs) you know, and and that coupled with COVID-19 and still trying to do business, (laughs) it's just a lot going on. So it's it's been okay. Uh, I'm glad that I've actually pulled back a little bit um, just to find my center and just to make yeah. sure I'm good, but everything's good. You, yeah. how's things going? I'm good, man. Uh, yeah. Life is good. I just want to say, you know, that the idea of kind of stepping back and taking a break is really important. I think there can be the idea that there's so much going on and there's yeah. so much importance in being present and being a voice. But if you don't take that time for yourself, mm-hmm. then you can't be that present voice. And so I've seen a few of our friends who have said, there's been so much going on. We're just taking two days off or we're taking yeah. a week off or whatever it is. And I would say to other people that are, that have been these super active voices, do the same. Like yeah. Take those days for yourself and don't feel like you're doing a disservice to your community or to your um, audience by doing that. You're actually, it's the opposite, you know, yeah. important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm doing great. You know, it's the same thing. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> they feel like, you know, it hasn't been easy for anyone in the wedding industry with everything going on. But as a photographer, as it compares to a, the planner side, I feel like we got the easy card here. I mean, <laughs> I just know. And I mean, talking to our friends, I have a lot of really good friends that are planners. Mm-hmm. The the grind that they have been in doing three, four times the work yeah. for clients and sometimes not being paid a, a dollar more because that's just the nature of it. And they're just good people. I don't know. I, I yeah, yeah. It's it's tough because like even today, so all of our weddings have switched to 
an abbreviated version. Um, some of them are micro weddings and the others are literally an abbreviated version of uh, what they normally were planning to do. And today I had to have a conversation with um, a client in regards to, you know, an issue uh, that they had in, over over their budget. And they were asking, hey, is it possible to try to get some wiggle room and reduce prices? And And I honestly just was like, look, there's nothing else we can do. I think everyone on our team, you know, the vendor team is already working well below their normal rate. And at this point, you know, we're doing it because we want to see couples get married and, mm -hmm. and that's where our heart is at, but we can't do that free, you know? Um, and so anything that we're making, it's literally just to make it through the day yep. <laughs> because we're not charging our normal fees that we would, which, you know, we could, but we just understand the environment and we're just asking everybody else to understand that as well. So it is difficult. I can see, you know, the issues on both sides, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. And it's, I empathize with all of our clients and, uh, in, you know, a few weeks back, I live in New Orleans and, and a lot mm -hmm. of our local groups, I had posted my phone number and just said, if you have, a, you know, if you just need someone to talk to, give me a call, you need yeah. it, whatever it is. And, you know, so I, I fielded a, a number of calls and I equally empathize with my fellow vendors, creative partners, photographer friends, but also you can, it's so easy to put yourself in the clients foot you know, yeah. um yeah <laughs> the client's feet as well mm -hmm. and say yeah in this one if it's this one case i can see where you feel like no we can't spend this much or we need to do this and but there's this also this larger entire industry and right. does cer certain clients do feel like yeah we understand there's an industry and certain clients don't and sometimes there isn't a right or a wrong so it, it yeah it has been a challenge and yeah. even you know a lot of photographers and planners in the very beginning came out and said, okay, we're all going to get on the same page. We're going to have the same message for our clients that this is our policies or try to, but even that over weeks, like we just became more empathetic and said, okay, well, I know we all said we're going to do this, but right. for, you know, <laughs> if, if, if we thought during the normal environment before COVID-19, if we thought that that playing field was a, community over competition or whatever it is this is survival of the fittest at this point because yeah. one bills have to be paid and people although yes we want to support other businesses um a lot of times when we're dealing with with inquiries that's not always possible you know right. um and, and even i think about this and just a simple request for a discount a discount may mean a vendor not being able to actually service a wedding or event you know it has really gotten down to that point so it's it's tough we i think that right now couples and clients are on the same playing field as like you just said as vendors and it literally is all of us trying to see how we could make a profit and cut corners at the same time but at something has to give yep. um and unfortunately we can't give anymore you know yeah. as far as as lowering costs because uh, it's just yeah it's just yeah. That, that's the nature of the game that we're in right now for sure yeah and so i i've been counting my blessings this entire time you know i've um taken the the downtime and son in some regards taking the downtime to just it's amazing. I had to have, you know, my wife and our two daughters are in the same house. I haven't been, I had not been 
in my house for this many consecutive days in a couple of years. You know, my my March, I was going to be, I mean, I was out of town, like it was five days out, two days home, four days yeah. out. And so that, that's that been incredible. And then utilizing the time to, to create other, um, to create in full frame, that's, that's been awesome. Um, yeah, so there's, there's been opportunities and, and um, but we're all ready to get back to. Um... So ready. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Um, so you're in DC, right? Yeah. Uh, from Miami, is that right? From Miami, yep. All right, so tell me, how did we get from Miami to DC? So I came to DC in, I remember like it was just yesterday. It was November the 23rd, 2003. <laughs> it's so crazy. And I actually traveled here from Germany because I am um, prior army. And so uh, I left home in 2001, January 11, 2001 and went to Missouri for basic training and advanced individual training. And from there, I uh, moved to Germany. I moved to Germany for three and a half years uh, in Würzburg to you know, be in the military uh, and be deployed and do all of that. And then after that was done, uh, my next duty station was at Fort Myer. Okay. Uh, so I traveled here um, you know, in 2003 and have you know, gone through the military, gone through multiple deployments, you know, back and forth. And uh, I ended up uh, leaving uh, the military in 2009, August 20th, 2009, uh, to, to pursue this, um, to get my degree awesome. and to pursue uh, being an event planner. And, and that's how I've, I've been in DC and I've, I've loved it. Um, I've always had this mindset that uh, there's nothing keeping me and there's nothing causing me to leave. So I'm in that, that limbo until something changes. So as of now, everything is just, everything has been where I've needed to be. I guess the universe is, is, is watching down on me. <laughs> nice. Awesome. I love that. How was life in Germany? Honestly, when I, when I got the news that I was going to move to Germany, I bawled, like I yeah. cried. I was oh, like, no. there is no way <laughs> you're about to send me thousands of miles away because my expectation was i knew that i was going to go to a, a duty station i was going to be assigned somewhere but my in my mind it would have been stateside you know and as a kid i've traveled all over the u.s you know by the time i graduated from high school i've traveled to at least 35 different states and so i was i i was used to that you know driving and flying got it but I've never been overseas. And when they said that I was going to Germany, I was like, okay, this is, this is not what I signed up for. What is going on? Uh, but honestly, once I got to Germany, I fell in love. I honestly did not want to come back, but I got homesick. You know, I knew that, you know, my parents and my friends from high school that I haven't, you know, I didn't see for a while. I wanted to get back home and, and to yeah. try something different. But Germany is Germany at the time was absolutely phenomenal. The culture there, the food there, the interactions with uh, Germans was just all amazing and beyond my wildest expectations. Like I thoroughly enjoyed being in Germany. It was it was amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I've been fortunate to to get to travel a good bit through mm -hmm. photography, 
Um, but Germany is not a place that I've had to be able oh, to spend a lot of time. And it's definitely, it's on my list of, I have a yeah. very short list actually of like um, okay. core travel things that I want to do that, that include like two weeks, like driving through um, wine country in France, mm-hmm. and, but spending time in the, um, in Germany, especially in the city centers is something that's yeah. definitely on that list. Yeah. Uh, and do a, do a, if you go to Germany, you have to drive like, yeah, of course, you know, you, you get to whatever major hub you want to be at, whether it's, Frankfurt or Berlin or, you know, any major city there, but you have to drive. It is so amazing to see the countryside um, or even take a train. The train is the train is just as best better than driving because you get there quick, but you get to see the countryside and so many things as you're on the train. So, yeah, one right. of the two is definitely a must. OK. All yeah. right. <laughs> I'll make sure I add it on there. Thank you. Yeah. So. Well, 2009 you get out of the military mm-hmm. and you know then event and uh design or when did that how did that come up how did you yeah so honestly it wasn't immediate um because my goal in getting out of the military um was to go to school because i knew that you know it was my my, my goal one of my goals were, as far as getting into the military was making sure i got a degree you know, because I went, I took a break after high school, uh, a couple of months, and then I went into the military. So I didn't go to college. And so that was one of my objectives is to be able to get a degree. But the military didn't tell me how hard it would be to actually get a degree Uh, while you're in the military. So you're working full time, being deployed and just back and forth. So there's a lot of, you know, months where I would be in school and then I would have to get out of school to go on assignment somewhere and do that and then come back. And that cycle happened so many times. It was really difficult to uh, be able to, to to get a degree while I was in. And, and mind you, I was in for nine years. And, yeah. and when I got out, I only had an associate's degree and barely getting into my bachelor's. So I got out to get um, my bachelor's degree. And I knew that I had to do that as a full-time student because of how difficult it was to do it while I was in the army. And so while I was in school and and I did that because of Montgomery GI Bill, I quickly realized that I was not, the GI Bill was not giving me enough money in order to sustain myself in DC. Now DC is, I mean, just like other major cities, uh, New York and, and, and other places, Miami is extremely expensive. The cost of living is very high here. And when you're getting just enough money, you're getting money to pay for school and then just enough money to pay for books and whatever else that could, you know, afford you. And so at that point, I quickly learned because I was on the verge of being homeless and I quickly learned that I needed to get a job (laughs) and get a job fast. And so the the idea of working, uh, being in school full time only was not what I was going to be able to do. Uh, but I was still content and happy about it. And I was able to get my bachelor's degree and then get a job and go into working on my master's. Um, right. and so it was, whew, that was, that was a very stressful time. Um, but I didn't regret leaving the army because I left because of good reasons. Um, you know, mainly mental health and, and just wanting to find some stability, yeah. but that's how I got into it. And I figured, you know, when I was in the army as towards the end of my career, I was helping 
to create events. You know, I was volunteering with uh, an organization called Better Opportunities for Single Service Members. And part of that was creating events for uh, soldiers. And so I was like, you know, I have experience in this. Let's see what happens. And that's that's where it started. Yeah. Have you had you prior to because doing events, wedding, planning, design really seemingly requires the left brain and the right brain. It requires Mm -hmm. the logistics and the creativity. So when you entered into events, was it more, I understand the logistics of putting this all together or, and I'm going to learn the design side or was it the, the opposite? What was, what came first for you? So it definitely was logistics (laughs) because because my, so my last duty station in the army was at the old guard. And so the old guard was all about precision logistics and just doing it. It was all about time, you know, making sure we started and we did everything according to a schedule. So I knew all of like the troop leading procedures, the step-by-step to do this, 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 and that. And so I had that mentality already. So the logistics was easy for me, but I've never had any experience in design, no experience whatsoever. And I (laughs) I remember, you know, coming into the event industry and trying to do like a style shoot because I needed images to build up my personal branding and, and all of that. Right. And I bombed it. Like I <laughs> failed that style shoot terribly. And I, I but the, the good thing about it is that I still keep the images from that style shoot because it teaches me, mm. and it reminds me of where I've come from, you know, to what we do now. And so I was like, you know what, I need to get some training, you know, I need to figure out what workshop I gotta, you know, get into or who I need to talk to, to actually educate me on the design aspect, because I can't plan and design anything until that happens. And I quickly learned that planning was not just about the checklist and the logistics. It was far more than that. So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I love that you held on to those images. Um, Were you an athlete or did you do sports in uh, high school or? Yeah, Yeah. I did. Um, I was actually on, (laughs) I was in the athletics club. And so I was on, we did football. I did track. Um, I did volleyball um, and I tried at a point in time to do tennis, but that didn't work out. Uh, I just, it was just too much going on, but yeah. Lot, yeah. yeah. No, I love that. I used to do the same thing. It, the first place medals went in the drawer. The second place medals went on the mantle. You know, <laughs> right. That's how it went. Yeah. We're going to remember those. And, yeah, and absolutely. Um, push you harder. Yeah. And as a wedding photographer, I think that served me as really well i've done or i did the same thing when i got the rejection emails those didn't get deleted mm-hmm. they got saved and printed and they were pinned up so yeah. um no i love that i think that's important you can there's definitely always something you can do to find motivation and um it, there's it's not a coincidence that the people you see in the wedding industry planners photographers creative partners they're that same kind of i mean they might be very creative they might be very logistics but they all have that that little bit of tiny bit of crazy that pushes them and drives them and keeps them up at night it's not right. a coincidence, you know um so that that part's important yep. um all right so what so events now you've been doing this for a while right mm-hmm. um what is like your what is an andrew roby wedding like the ideal wedding, what does it look like? What do you love to do? So I, 
the weddings that I really love are weddings that really push the envelope to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nowadays we can go onto Instagram or Pinterest and just type in wedding and see all, you know, all the pictures that have a lot in common, right? And so I really love trying to be creative and doing things that does not look like the norm. You know, like I hate using hydrangeas, you know, for centerpieces. And I hate, you know, the traditional sense. Like there's a lot of things that are common to weddings that I try to steer away from. And I like couples who are willing to really go beyond the norm and really be creative. Like I love color. Um, I I can do the blush and and the, the sky blue and neutral weddings. I could do that all in my sleep. However, I love color. Like yeah. I love to be able to use color and to bring out personalities and infuse energy into spaces. Um, and so I think doing that is probably the most fun aspect of, of planning any wedding is just to be able to, to push the envelope just a little bit. I love that. And I think we kind of, as an industry, hit that tipping point too, mm-hmm. where we were in which is it's easy and, and natural to kind of stay in that spin cycle of yeah. a wedding happened. It was beautiful. It was submitted for publication that it, and then it showed up and we had a lot more print before. So that even mm. delayed it even longer. Yeah. So yeah. to print a year later, a bride saw it and then her wedding's a year after that. So now that gets recycled. Recycling. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think we hit a tipping point where we're like, okay, the wedding is not, what we saw on wherever six years ago, mm-hmm. it's who is our client? Yeah. What does their their day look like? As right. a as a as a photographer, when I show up to a day and I, I'll realize immediately like, oh, this is, you know, whoever their name is, that's this is their wedding. Yeah. I'm like, I mean, I'm already like super pumped up and excited, but it's like, okay, this isn't <laughs> no, let's go. Yeah. Um and it's, it's true because the thing is, is that I think all of us as vendors, as professionals, we have to we have to be the ones to guide our clients on where the future is in the wedding and event industry. And if we keep recycling, like you said, everything that we've done already, we're never going to be forward thinking. Our job as a professional is to is to figure out where the trend is heading, not to follow the current trend. So anything that's happening right now, we should not be using that to plan and execute something that's happening in the future. We should use that to say, okay, if this is happening now, then I believe this is what's going to happen in the future. So let's plan for that versus what's going on now. For sure. So let's get to talking about the engage zoom call a little bit if you don't mind i saw i sat in on that there was a great panel that was put together i feel like that was about two or three weeks ago yeah it was uh and so i thought there was an amazing opportunity there um for some great conversation but there were some really nice questions that were asked and some really probably even better answers that were given but i also I walked away from it feeling like let's let's keep going. You know, okay. it ended, and I know we all had schedules, and there was so much time allotted for it. But right. I feel like we were just getting to those conversations <laughs> that we wanted to possibly have. I love what you did. You know, you asked the question. It was there was a structure to it. Here's the question. Here's the answer. You go. You go. And then Andrew comes in and says, "Hey, I got a question. You know, <laughs> um, what do you guys think?" Uh, so. 
I don't know. I thought there were some good things to it. I, I left it wanting more. I was hoping there would be some follow-ups. Have yeah. they reached out to you about doing any follow-up? So no, and and I think that I I believe we need to have a a part two and three and four and five. Yeah, right. And because the thing is, is that one, this is a conversation, and although our conversation, I mean, I we we were there for like two hours, um, and although we were there for that period of time, we still need to do more um, because we have to delve into why we're at where we're at. And mm -hmm. I think that the conversation that we had was sim simply like an overview. It, it really introduced us to what was going on, but it didn't delve into how to necessarily fix some of the, the core things. We, we were really focusing on top level, but it, it really has to be conversations that are that's going to help people change the systemic issues that has been built up for years. And of course, one conversation is not going to be enough. Um, I do applaud Engage for taking the opportunity to create that conversation with their yeah. audience. I believe that we have to continue to create that with everyone being involved. That means black people, people of color, white people as well to be involved in this conversation. And, and that's why I believe a part two has to happen because there's so much more that we have to educate each other about as it relates to our business structure, as it relates to how we do business, as it relates to how we deal with equity and um, quality and, or, or equality and, and, and so much more there. And so, yeah, I agree that we have to have three and four, however many conversations, yeah. but it is a marathon. You know, it's not a sprint. One conversation is not going to be the end all be all. Yeah. And I think in that micro environment, it would be phenomenal to have two, three, four yeah. ongoing conversations, but it's also representative of the fact that how this works, how we can actually move forward is we're always having a conversation. Yes. You know, if you're in a marriage, you can't have wonderful conversations with your spouse for years one through five and then go, well, we talked enough. Sit down. <laughs> no, that's not how that's not going to work. There needs to be a continued conversation. So I have a question for you. Okay. That I don't know if there's there is no easy answer, but you said in the beginning of your, your last answer that we just started to scratch the surface on where we are. So without me being super specific, where are we? So I think when, when I try to be, I try to apply a lot of situations and put them into a system or at least a phase, a process. Yeah. And I think that where we are now is still in phase one. I think that we're just beginning to be in phase one. And phase one, honestly, is that discovery phase. It is understanding what I don't know, I don't know. You know, and and in this phase, it is the awareness, it is education, it is enlightenment. And I believe that this phase has to happen. And honestly, this phase may be one of the longer phases to yeah. be in because, again, we have been in we have been in, in phase zero for decades and now we're in phase one yep. where we're like, oh, my God, I didn't know. 
this even existed. I didn't even know this even because that's what a lot of the, the conversation was with Engage was like, man, I didn't know that this was a problem, yeah. you know, because we were living in our zone and, and, and we, we get that. But I think that we have to spend the time in phase one in order to get the education, understand how this has been detrimental to the industries that we serve and then go into phase two. And phase two honestly is making the changes within the system. So that is how we look at the people that are running businesses, how we are on uh, how we how we dismantle the systemic things that we have created, things like these lists or these directories and, and all of that kind of stuff, um, how we do business, how we refer business, um, just changing all of that and also bringing about equality and pay because it is very evident that white uh, business owners get more money and larger budgets than that of the black community and even people of color. So being able to change that, and I don't think that may be the second longest phase, but I think that that's going to be really where we put our, our put your money where your mouth is, you know, yeah. and begin to execute. And then phase three is honestly just smooth sailing, just watching all of that hard work from phase one and phase two now actually grow our business or grow our industries and to see what happens after that, see where that can take us um, into decades more, you know, once all of this is done. So that's how I see it. Right. And just as a reference, what you just said, you were framing that relative to the white industry. Or I'm actually framing whole, it for every the entire yeah. industry because or the, or the nation. I mean, the, the, yeah, because because this is what has happened. Um, because the black community, even people of color, have been restricted from participating in common white uh, events and opportunities. They've created their own. We've mm -hmm. created our own. You know, it, just using uh, the wedding side as an example. When a photographer like you have a black couple and you submit that couple uh, photos to a publisher, uh, predominantly white publisher, and they don't feature that work, what has happened is we've had people like or organizations like Munaluchi Bride, Black Bride, and the Coordinated Bride or Be Collective and, and organizations like that because of the lack of representation. When I think right. of magazines, I think of Essence and their, their, the, the, the creation of them was to be able to showcase Black excellence because right. that was not being showcased anywhere else. And so when I talk about these phases, I talk about the in-state being where there is equal playing field, where you can't even tell who's who or who's running what because it is so diverse. It displays everyone. And I think that until we get to that point, then we're still going to be an industry that is divided. Regardless of if I have engaged or if I have inside weddings or whomever else refer business to me and has increased how they are showcasing uh, black couples and, and, and people of color, that's great. But until we see all of us collectively doing that, it really doesn't make sense um, yeah. for us to try to change what is going on now because it's going to we're, we're literally at this point going to fight against ourselves one side says yes we want equal representation 
But at the same time, we're not working across the aisle to actually yeah. <laughs> try to bring about that that representation. We the black community can't do it on their own, and the yeah. white community definitely can't do it on their own. We have to work together to bring this about. Yeah. So what you said about we're now in phase one, and I would say we were in phase zero thinking, or a lot of people thinking they were in phase two, right? <laughs> yes. And then it was like, hey guys, by the way, no, you've been right. in phase zero. So now we need to, and I also think what you said, you know, it's, a, there's a lot of things we didn't know. We were in this exploration phase. We're asking a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. And I would say, and tell me if you agree or not, it's okay to not know things but it's not okay to not want to know those things or not to right. ask and explore. And I think there's a misconception sometimes and with this or just in general, just in general knowledge that it's not okay if you don't know something. Right. I love saying I don't know because that means I get to find out. Right. Uh, I've taught uh, college classes for years in uh, photography and other things. Mm-hmm. And I don't do the – you know a student asks me a question and I say – Oh, well, and just make up some shit because they don't mm-hmm. know. I say, I, I don't know. Right. I want to find out or let's find out together. Or you find out and you teach me and, you know, let's do it together. So right. I think it's okay to say you don't know. It's okay to – and there can be a fear, I think, of of asking the wrong questions. Mm-hmm. I, I, in the beginning, you know, going back a few weeks, I was able to reach out to a lot of friends and say – let me ask you some questions. Can we have some conversations? There's things that I don't know. Right. And I've been able to find out a lot. And so, and that's why I wanted to have these conversations because if we can have a conversation and we're comfortable with talking about things that maybe would seem uncomfortable, then other people can ask questions and right. explore and begin their phase one, right? Because we can't move into phase two or three if we're not going to start exploring. Yeah, I agree. And the, so We've just been comfortable. We've been too comfortable mm-hmm. where we shouldn't have been comfortable to begin with. Because if we are a forward-thinking people, and and uh, we see that, we see that in STEM, we see that in technology. Just use Apple, you know, as an example. These guys are now pushing. They're they're creating their own stuff. You know, they're not outsourcing anymore. Right. Uh, a lot of the stuff to create computers and phones. And that's because they are forward thinking. They're thinking about the future and thinking about how to change things that is really going to meet their customers' needs. And if we can use them as an example, we have to always think about the future and have to think about how we can learn more, how we can be more, how we can change the world to be a better world for all of us. And if we're thinking about that, the equality and equity is a huge chunk in that. And so many people are just comfortable. They're comfortable in getting the business. They're comfortable in working with the exact same people over and over again and never question, you know what? Do I ever really want to think outside the box or find somebody else that may think a little bit different than me and challenge me and push me to do something different, more creative? And we've just stuck We've been stuck with doing the same thing over and over again, and we have to break that system. Yeah. We really do. Comfortable is easy, but mm-hmm. easy doesn't get you very far. Right. And yeah, I mean, it kind of speaks for itself. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about this a little bit. You brought this up, and I hadn't really thought about that kind of reaching across the aisle, the aisle now that has to yeah. happen, that it's, you know, there, there weren't 
aisles, right? And then, um, like you said, the black community, people of color, almost had to create their own aisle as a response. You're you're not going to, you know, we're, there's the major wedding publication, the the major media sources, and so if we aren't represented, then we'll create our own. And so, by doing something that is was necessary and empowering and amazing, we now sit with separation, right? right. So how, and you don't have to have an answer. I don't know. These are not easy questions. Andrew doesn't, <laughs> Andrew solve it all. Let's go. Yeah, um, I wish. <laughs> you know, like, how do we start um, reaching across? I mean, I think there's been some, there's been some things already that we've seen where certain publications have made these announcements. We're going to do this or that, right? right? And that's a start. Some of it seems maybe superficial, but if we, you know, we start somewhere, but yeah, how do we, how do we bring this together? So one, one, I don't want to put this on the shoulders of publications because one, publications don't run the wedding or event industry. They don't. All they do is showcase what the people who run the wedding and, and event industry does. Like these publications are great to bring up, build awareness, but they're advertisements. You know what I mean? So they're not the, the worker bees of this industry. You know, they're, they're, you know, editors and chiefs aren't planning events and they're not planning weddings. So uh, I just want to be clear about that. Of course, give them their credit because they do a lot as far as bringing awareness on who vendors and 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 pros are. But if we want to cross the aisle, it is the worker bees, all of us vendors, all of us pros that have to be in on this. And an easy way to do this, and we talk about systemic structures that are in place that need to be dismantled. One way is to be able to look internally and say, you know what? Who is my vendor team? Because me as a planner, I honestly, and I, I think about my authority, my power, the position that I have as a planner, I control all vendors. It is very rare that a client comes to me and says, hey, you know what, Andrew, I want you to be my planner, but I already have all of my vendors. Right. You know, it's very rare. They may have one or two um, vendors that they really love. But it's very rare that I am not the one pitching to them who my vendors are going to be or who their vendors should be, right? And because I have that power, I should make sure that whoever I present to them is diverse. It should not be all black. It should not be all white. It should be a diverse group of people. And, and I can like, I love having a diverse group of people because of the mindset. You get so much from diversity that it's just, is phenomenal. So that's one way to do it. We have to stop having these all black and all white vendor teams. That That's not going to help. Another thing that we have to do is we have to break down these vendor lists. Like if I go, I, I went to a venue just last week and I said, hey, let me see your catering, uh, you know, preferred list. And I looked at the list and it was all white catering companies. And I said, well, do you have a black owned catering company on this list or can we add one? You know, and of course, thankfully, they came back and said, yeah, we can make that exception. But however, that exception is just for this particular event and not a permanent thing. And that's how we further dismantle what is going on. We have to be intentional about if we're going to do lists, if we're going to do the best of lists, if we're going to do preferred vendor lists and all of this kind of stuff, let's make sure it is diverse. And, and when you, because 
vendor lists and, and the best of lists and all this have so much wealth that is in these lists. Because if I, for instance, catering lists are notorious for being the hardest things to, to get a waiver for, then you say, this is my preferred catering list. Although there may be dozens of other caterers that you'd rather have, they force you to pick from that catering list. So right. therefore, if it's a venue, that venue is getting hundreds of inquiries throughout the year for an event there. That is hundreds of thousands of dollars that is going to a business. Right. And if that list does not have a diverse group of people, that's very unfair. And this is how you what I what I like to use in a, as an example is um, how we have like the day of coordinators for wedding planners, right? So when you start out in as a as a planner, the easiest way for you to start getting business is by saying, "Hey, I can do day of services," and and a lot of times we joke about it because they say, "Okay, I could do this for five hundred bucks." Now we know five hundred dollars is literally pennies when it comes to executing a wedding of any magnitude, regardless of size. But the reason why so many people resort to that is because we sit and we have a scarcity mindset. We have a survival mindset of saying, you know what? I want to be in this industry. I want to plan weddings. I want to plan events, but people are not giving me the chance. So the best way that I can have my foot in that door is making my own way. And if that means I have to charge someone 500 bucks, just to get a wedding to show that I can do this, then that's what's going to happen. And yeah, some of the more experienced people may say, man, you're you're hurting our industry because you're lowballing us, you're undercutting us. But guess what? Unless you give them the opportunity, they're going to continue to do that. You've established yeah. a system that prevents them from reaching excellence, but you're getting mad at them for undercutting you because they're fighting against a system that holds them back. Yep. You know, and so that's the same way when I look at like the venue catering list, you have so many great companies that are there. They're willing to do that, but they can't grow for free. They have to have the cash flow in order to grow their business. And the only way that they can do that is being on these lists. And, and until yep. that happens, it's very difficult. And especially because the black community is one of the most undeserved or uh, undercut uh, unserviced industries that there is. So it's hard for the black industry to actually say, yes, I'm thriving in my business. Yes, I'm not struggling. Yes, I'm actually putting out my quote and people aren't questioning how much I'm actually asking them yeah. to pay because they're fighting against the white community that they can push out a $20,000 fee for planning a wedding for 150 people. But if a black person does that, they're like, okay, that's too much. And it's because yep. of the mindset as if a black yep. person can't charge that much and still put out the same amount or same quality of work. So those types of systems have to be removed in order for us to really be on an equal playing field. And all of us have a part in that. All of us to include, even if I'm not in a decision-making uh, position, I may be like you. I may be a photographer. I may be a baker. I may be a makeup artist, but I have access to that team. I, I know who's a part of this team. And if I see that everyone on that team is white, 
then I need to find out who's the decision maker for pulling together this team and have a conversation with them and say, you know what? I understand that everybody's on contract now, but as we move forward or as you move forward, even if it's without me on doing weddings and events, it will behoove you to have a more diverse group of wedding or event professionals. And a lot of people are so fearful of having that conversation. And until we do, until we say, hey, look, this needs to be a black person doing this. Yep. Until we say that, then it's, it's going to keep on keeping on. <laughs> I know yeah. that was a mouthful. <laughs> no, that was awesome. Amazing. I mean, I think it's so spot on. There's this, there's this cycle, right? So the scarcity mindset inadvertently for that person or group causes scarcity because yep. you're saying, like you said, well, why are you charging $500? Well, if you didn't have your scarcity mindset, if you had this, uh, the opposite mindset, this empowering mindset, and you're bringing people in and you're, and you're loving that they're doing well and charging these, um, doing this beautiful work and charging these right. big rates, not you're not losing your business. You're actually insuring your business. You're actually insuring right. your own rates, right? By doing it's it, this so way. true. It's just so, and, and and to that point. So so imagine you in a in a cul-de-sac. You just you just bought a home. Mm -hmm. Your home you you paid three hundred thousand dollars for a home, right? And then you see a month later another home is being built. A new person is coming in and they're building that home, and that home ends up being five hundred thousand dollars. Right. Who's going to win? Yeah. Everybody is going to win because as you continue to raise the property value in that neighborhood, everyone's home is going to go up. That means the equity in that home per homeowner increases, right? right? And that's the same mindset that we have to use in the event and wedding industry. It's never about one person because one person does not control this industry. One person does not represent this industry, but as we build each other up, the only way that we go is up, not down, up. Yep. And so we have to stop being selfish. Exactly. Yeah. So are you the person that says, oh no, now my house is going to be half the size as the guy next to me? Or are you the person that says, great, now my house is going to be worth $50,000 more, right? I'm the person that says, good, my house is going to be yeah. worth $50,000 more. And if I want to go and buy another house, then I got $50,000 more to add to go get a bigger house. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. not going to, I'm not going to be this woe is me. <laughs> no. Yeah. For me as a photographer, where I am now, I kind of work in two markets. So I live in New Orleans. Half of my weddings are in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. The other half are destination weddings. And so yeah. it really, there really are two completely separate markets. And what me and a few of my fellow photographers that are local, what we realize is that our New Orleans market for photography was financially behind. Oh, wow. Just in terms of what is considered to be expensive, what's considered to be, you know, and, and I was able to learn that by do des doing destination weddings and having friends in those other markets, you know, what is considered to be a middle price in Virginia um, might be a super high end price in New Orleans. So right. this is you know, kind of plays into what we we're just saying. So what we did was, okay, how do we at the upper end of this market make more money? Well, it isn't by keeping competition out. It's by getting those guys in and teaching them, this is how you price. This is how you market. Because if I can make your business better, then I'm going to make more money. 
Because, you know, so yes, so get rid of that scarcity mindset. And there's so many benefits. I mean, even if you're, if I hope it's not to be selfish, but even if you're just purely selfish, but you're intelligent, <laughs> you know, so. Very true. <laughs> so you, you mentioned, and you kind of went through some of these things that are the systematic issues. Yeah. I think, and I've seen, and I don't like to go into like the negative side, but this is just an example I had, you know, I, I intentionally, first of all, I'll preface, I do not enjoy Facebook. It's a double-edged sword for me. You know, I don't, if I could delete everything and just, I I would be so happy, but (laughs) I I do enjoy Instagram a little bit, Facebook, I don't. But one thing I do is I don't unfriend. It's sometimes counterintuitive, right? You see something Mm -hmm. crazy, you know, another policy, don't argue with crazy. That doesn't do anyone any good. Um, but I don't unfriend because I want to know what someone else is thinking. These are real thoughts and feelings. And so a week or so ago, someone posted something that said, you know, everyone's saying these are uh, systematic issues and they were talking on the larger scale. Mm-hmm. Show me where the, the system is written down that does this and that. And I didn't reply. And I actually have because I've had some friends encourage me to Sometimes if you can do it in a way that isn't aggressive, just right. point out something that is friendly. But I didn't reply to that one because I couldn't I couldn't find the inner piece to, you know, you know, it's that's the point. That's the point of this is in the larger scale, is that the systems aren't just written down. If they were, they would just, you know, yeah. But, yeah. But in the wedding industry, I mean, you kind of pointed this out. Something a systematic issue is simply a system that is in place. And yeah. There are some systems that might be a little bit more involved, but there are so many of them that are right in front of us that we have so much control over. And that's what you're saying with, you're a planner, you have a lot of say-so over the team that gets hired. And even if, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but in general, even if the team that gets hired winds up not being completely diverse, but it, at the very least, you have control over who you present, right? So right. if you're not asking those questions, well, venue, is are any of these caterers people of color? No. Well, you need to do better. So tr- go try again. And that doesn't that doesn't make you a bad guy. I'm sure there's some some venues that might not be excited about that. But if no one's questioning that particular, that is a system, is a clear, in front of us system. And it's, it's, you can be so friendly, nice about it. Just, Hey, can you just try, try again? Right. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I, and I agree because I think that people have to understand how white privilege and racism works. And because the fact that they don't understand it Mm -hmm. is why they allow it to continue to produce itself over and over again. And I believe that's step one. You know, when I talked about the phase, yeah. it is phase one is that you have to understand how, what white privilege is and what racism is and how that works to feed into where we are today. Yeah. And until you understand how those things feed into or even creates the systemic issues that we find, how can you dismantle it? How do you know how to dismantle it? You know, if I'm driving a car, 
I know that if I keep driving and not fill up my gas tank, that my car is going to stop. Yep. So I know that I have to put in gas or I know that after a certain amount of miles, I need to do an oil change. I need to do a checkup, you know, and until I, if I don't know that, then I'm going to find myself on the side of the road calling a tow truck. But I have to be smart enough and I have to take it upon myself to educate myself to understand what are those things that is causing the problems that we face today. And until and when I know that, then I can work to reverse engineer it and to put into new put in new systems that is going to benefit everybody. Right. Right. So let's go through a couple more of these. Okay. so you have vendor lists so as a planner yep. you can reach out and a venue so if you if your couple selects a venue mm -hmm. the the caterer is one of the trickier ones right because they often have they want more say so over that um maybe it's right and it's, it's mainly because of the catering companies have the more liability yep uh and so they they venues tend to go with catering companies that one have a larger presence have been in business for a longer time and and have the experience but that doesn't mean that anybody else that anyone else can't do that you know right. it's easy i mean every catering company has to be licensed and have insurance that's that's like that's a given you know right and then so then on the rest of it would be as a planner you're going to present your clients with photography options Mm -hmm. It's not difficult to, I mean, you should know your market really well. Yep. Um, there are people of color, uh, pe white people. There's so yep. many, you know, whoever's out there, there are options that are going to be fantastic. So you, it's your responsibility to get to know your market. And then right. would you say then present diverse options, present the, the actual best options for that client, regardless yeah. of. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, so then you're able to present them with diversity in their photography team, videography team, floral team. So you have all these vendors. Yep. What's your opinion on the some of the unseen members? So here's what I'm thinking, my example. As a photographer, and I'm sure as a planner, you have probably more experiences, but I've been able to go to, I have friends that are florists. I go to their floral studio. Maybe they have two people, but some of them have 10 people on staff. You go in there, they're in production. And if I walk in and it's a white owned business and there's 10 uh, people working and they're all, you know, same age, it's, it's, you know, 15, 30 year old white people. Yeah. And I go, Oh, well, there's that, that's a little bit strange because there's, there's 10 of you. You're saying, you know, do you think the unseen vendor team is as important? Do you, is that something to consider as well? So I think, the, the, okay, so two things. First, yes. The the problem with the unseen is that, and, and I know I keep going back to catering because that's just a great example. So the unseen is, is critical. And I think that we have to make sure that everyone that is a part of the team, or at least those with the decision-making power is diverse, but also stop using okay, I have this one person that is black or this one person that is of color on my team. So that should account for something. Yep. No, that is, that's not how it should work. Mm -hmm. It should be more than just that. We don't want a token black person. 
you know, on your team. And that, and just the same thing is like, if I'm looking at a speaker panel or, you know, <laughs> conferences, yeah. there should not just be one, one black person, one black woman, one black man, or there should not just be one woman, you know, there yeah. should be equal playing field at every level. If you can do that. Now, of course, for smaller teams, I totally get it. I, I can understand if you have a team of three, a team of four, and it's all white or it's all black. I get it. But as you begin to grow your business, it behooves you as a service provider to tap into a more diverse staff because that you it's hard for me to believe that I can accomplish my the goals of my client by only having all white or only having all black. And 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 listen, and and I want to talk about success. Yes, you can probably execute an event or a wedding with an all-white team or all-black team and get it done. However, is that really your highest potential? Is right. that really the highest level of execution that you could have provided to your client with just the same people on your team? Or do you believe that if you had a diverse team, you would be you would have been able to give them more of an experience, more of a higher level of execution because you have diverse minds coming together, brainstorming and creating something that your client deserves. And I find it hard for people, regardless of what level, the worker bees and the decision makers, I find it hard for you to have people of the same skin tone saying that you could provide a higher level right. of, of execution and, and workload for a client yeah. when it's everyone's the same. I, yeah. No, spot on. Yeah. It should be the goal is our best. All yes. The time, right. Absolutely. Um, okay. What was I going to ask you? So optics, that's what I'm going to ask you. So give me your feeling on the importance of optics. And so I want to give you an example Mm -hmm. I've shot, I've had a handful of interracial clients over the last couple of years. And one of them in particular has actually become a good friend, um, pretty good friend. We hang out, but we actually you know DM and talk um, yeah. online. One thing that was really important for her was that we need diversity on both sides. And this optics were really important to her in this regard. Okay, we're going to have this diversity, but we're also what we're not going to have. We're not going to have an all-black staff. We're not going to have an all-black band, mm -hmm. right? There needs to be. It's, it's not, and I've and I'll also give you another example as well. Um, my I have a family member that's getting married soon, and I've been talking. It's been fun giving them, you know, different things. And so he was talking about, and I hope none of his guests listen because this is going to be a surprise. But he was going to be talking about having this uh, gospel choir uh, sing at the end of his ceremony. And I've seen this happen twice. The The church ceremony ends. The um, all-black gospel choir comes in the back, and they sing. And it's – especially if you don't know what's going to happen. It's like, oh, wow, this is amazing. But as a photographer who's not – you know, just standing there documenting. I had two separate experiences. One was 95% white guests, all white um, wedding party on both sides. And then all black gospel choir comes in. And maybe I didn't feel, you know, maybe it's not right. I'm incorrect in how I felt, but I kind of felt like, hey, this kind of feels a little bit off. This kind of feels like there's no inclusion anywhere. And then you're bringing, you're like, you know, appropriation is beautiful. 
but there's misappropriation, there's right. there's inclusion, right? So I kind of felt I felt uncomfortable a little bit. And then I had the other thing where it was, you know, a white couple, but very diverse wedding guests, very diverse, and, and I didn't even think twice about it. So I, I said, hey, cousin, think about this. Just think about it. He goes, that's a really good point. I didn't even think about it. Um, and so what are your thoughts and feelings on it? My way off on that? Right? No, I, I think that, so, and <laughs> this is why I, you know, going back to my last comment in regards to having diversity at all levels, I think this is why, this is exactly why, is because when you look at the experience of an event, it has to be intentional. And mm -hmm. if I have a couple or even a client, because you know your corporate clients, my my corporate clients, um, a lot of them are white, but they ask for black, you know, uh, bands and things like that. And I take it upon myself, and I say, you know what, I'm going to make sure that if I create something for you, that it's going to be intentional, and that it's not going to be out of the norm. It's not going to be, oh my god, okay, <laughs> we got a black choir coming out. Right. You know, that's not what I want because then it goes into tokenism. Mm -hmm. It goes into, okay, this person or this group is solely here to check the box. Sure. And it's not like I am really featuring them or integrating them into the environment that I want to have. Now, if if I have a couple that says, you know, and I've, I've had plenty of white couples that say, you know what, I want a black band. Got it. You know, I understand that. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm going to make sure that I the look and feel of it is going to make sure that it is throughout. Like it's yeah. not going to just be like, OK, I'm going to show up and have a black band. No, I'm going to integrate whether it's food, whether it's my design, what it, whether it's your photographer or whomever visible person, the optics yep. that you see is going to make sure that it feels comfortable for people and not just boom, I'm just showing up with a black choir. So I think that that is, is part about it. Uh, uh, that is, is really interesting. And then I will say to that is that a lot of times people, <laughs> a lot of times people say, um, oh, I stand for equality. I stand for justice or I'm, 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 you know, anti-racist and they say it, but the actions is what makes a person racist, right? I can say I could be a white person and say all day long how much I don't like racism and how much I hate white supremacy. But until my actions speak for me, I'm racist because I, I'm not it, you have to be anti-racist. So and the way to be anti-racist is by putting your words into practice and me and like your example, bringing out. Uh, all black choir when nothing else in your wedding is actually people of color or black or, or anything that is integrated into it shows a part of racism that we have to understand yeah. because we can scream to the mountaintops about not being racist, but that doesn't mean we're not racist. We right. have to figure out how to dismantle that. Right. Yeah. And just because you don't feel like you said, just because you don't feel like you're racist doesn't mean you're not racist. Right. The, the fact <laughs> that no one in that that involved like that couple, their families, that the fact that no one thought twice about that doesn't mean they're bad people, but that was the fact Who that, that band, right. The fact that you didn't think about it is something It says something. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So are you okay on time? 
Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, lists. So I've I've talked to a few friends about this. I've I've even reached out to a few photographers recently to have conversations. Some DM. Um, some I'm trying to set up other calls. Mm-hmm. Where I've quickly found people. You know, since so go back a little bit. Last week, week before, you have a lot of like Martha and brides. A lot of the listers coming out saying, you know, we're going to do this moving forward. We're going to do this moving forward. And so, and then you had like Martha post, um, you know, I don't know, like 50 black photographers, you should go follow things like that. And so you go down those lists and I said something, I said this to someone recently, there was a mix. There are, there were photographers on there who you felt like, Hey, they're, they're starting out. Their work's pretty good. Cool. There were photographers who like, they have these huge followings, Uh, you know, they're obviously incredible personally, maybe not like my style or someone that I would follow, but Mm -hmm. they should be getting more recognition. It probably shouldn't be the first time I've seen them. And then there were a handful of people that I was like, okay, there, here's a problem because I could take the, the top bar off of their Instagram, put someone else's face on it, and they're on every list. What's what's going on? There's there's no difference, if not better, right? So that's a thing. So how do the lists get made? How does that happen? You know, I think it's it's difficult for this too because the people that make the lists, I don't think the intention was ever to like create this bible that we, we all follow it's it, right. the initiate you know initially it was just let's create something for people to click on let's create something fun and here's a list and right. you know i work here who are my friends that i know that are really good and maybe there wasn't 20 hours of exploration put into it and that was right. okay maybe in the beginning but now it's become this thing that honestly probably has more weight than it should maybe it could just go away and we'd be all, all okay and better for it but if it has that much weight then, you know, does more importance and time need to be given to it? More exploration to find these right. vectors. How does that happen? What do you? How do you feel about that? So I believe that all lists should be eradicated. Yep. I believe that we should not have lists at all. Um, I think that every person who wants the recognition needs to be receiving recognition based off of actual clients. A lot of the magazines, a lot of the publishers that are creating such lists are not doing due diligence. They're not talking to clients. They're not reading reviews or making sure that the people that are on these lists actually deserve to be on these lists. The only people that I can see creating such lists is like The Knot or Wedding Wire or something that allows you to see reviews. That, that, I mean, because honestly, just because you create pretty stuff does not make you a great whatever. Yep. Your clients are the ones who literally are the end all be all judge and jury to if you're a great professional, period. And I think that a lot of these lists come out year after year with the exact same people. And I find it, for instance, I'll, you know, I'll use uh, um, Harper Bazaar, come out with 50 of the world's greatest florists and not a single florist is black. Oh, wow. And I think about that and I say, so you mean to tell me these are the 50, 50 out of all the floors that they are, only 50 of these people are the best and they are all white and very little deviation. You may have maybe one or two people sprinkled in there that, you know, to try to help with diversity, but it's not diverse. And so when I look at a magazine like that, one, your source is not 
weddings or events. That's not that's not your audience. And so I don't understand how you came up with this list. Yeah. You know, and this is why I believe that all this, you know, unless it's from a source that is able to look and verify and vet the reviews, they shouldn't be made. They right. they shouldn't be made because this this is disingenuous and it gives a false pretense as far as who is qualified to be on these lists. So to me, while I understand why people do them, I feel that they shouldn't be, there should be no list at all, to be yeah. honest. I think that every business needs to work and get clients the best way that they can. I, I don't disagree with you. And I think that would probably surprise a lot of people. I did a podcast where I was a guest on uh, Braden Flynn's podcast. And a lot of that, I really, I mean, I'm an open book. I shared a lot. It was a pretty emotional uh, podcast, but I talked a lot about how important like certain goals are for me and how they've been for me in my life, starting with sports, the the value that I put on them as a person. Like if I don't do this and I'm not this and how I was able to evolve out of that. But the point is that I have in a much in a very positive way, set those lists as goals for me because I love competition and yeah. I don't, I don't mind losing, but here's a competition. This is fun. A lot of my friends are in this competition. One thing I don't want to win the, you know, going back to like a high school tournament or something. I don't want to win the division one state title. I want to win the whole thing. Like, right. That's fun. Like that's pointless, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I want to compete. I don't mind losing, but I want to, I want to actually be in the, the actual right. competition. But it has become, you know, so to be someone that has said, yes, I've put a lot of importance on this because it's fun, because mm-hmm. I want to compete, I enjoy the competition. But yes, we're probably better off if they just went away because yeah. they become something else. And I don't harbor ill feelings towards the editors that have made those lists because I don't believe um, this is me inferring intention, but I don't mm-hmm. believe they intended it to be this thing. You right. know, and I know um, Carrie, who does Harper's List, she has said it in talks. There is so much weight that comes, you can see it when she talks about the list, that comes on her about the list. So much, she has told me there's just emails that are coming in. Her marketing team is just like fighting through because they said, hey, create a thing that could be, we could get a lot of clicks. And now it became this. Bible became this thing. And now if you're not on it, you're like, why am I not on it? But, and I will say this to be fair, that one, there was vetting that was put into place on her end in terms of I'm going to create a smaller list initially, and I'm going to reach out to planners. I'm going to ask them, how is this photographer to work with? Some people didn't make the list because they had a bad interpersonal relationship. The, The catch 22 though becomes, comes with what planners are you asking? Because it, here, uh, here's a, a circle that was, again, unintentional. But if you're only asking the, the planners that were on the first list. Exactly. Right. So it's, it's difficult. So, again, not to be, you know, I'm not, it, no ill feelings, nothing negative towards the people that created the list. But if you are going to create a list now that has so much weight, there probably needs to be 30, 40, 50 hours of work that goes in of like, let's explore the whole field. Let's figure out who everybody is. And you really got to dig in. It's, it's a mountain to climb if you're really going to do a proper list. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's true. And, 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 and I get it. You know, some people have their criteria for picking the people on these lists, but it's still, for me, it still does not persuade me to 
to be a little bit more understanding of these lists. Everybody, you know, they're publishers. Again, they don't control, they, they try to put themselves in a position where they're controlling the narrative and publishers are, they shouldn't. Right. They, what they should be doing is publishing actual stuff. Like if I'm going to put out a wedding, publish that. Right. And talk about that. Get the information from the actual client and put that information into, give that review and put that into the, to the article. That's for me, I would much rather have that than to have me placed on some list, you know, because I want my clients to speak for me, not a small group, especially most of these companies don't have a group of diverse people to begin with. Because if I'm thinking about magazines, magazines are shrinking. So to me, yeah. they don't have a huge group that is diverse to say who's going to be on this list or not. They don't. So what I would rather do is I would rather you spend your time looking at my images of every wedding or event that I do and considering that in addition to the feedback from my client to determine if I'm going to be published, you know, in an article. To me, that brings far more value than it would to just be on the list. So I would rather focus on that. And again, stick to your role as a publisher sure, and, and focus on that aspect of it versus trying to divide so many people because all that does is just like you said, it creates competition. And that's why I don't believe in the phrase community over competition because people don't live by that. Mm. They don't. Everyone's trying to be on the list. Everyone's trying to be published because of relationships that they have with people versus landing on these things because of the work that they put in. And until we get to that point, for me, lists are not important. Yeah. They and, and me, like, yeah, I get published, but my goal is never because I want to get, I, I've been published enough. I don't care at this yep. point um, about getting published. Like, great. It, it happens if my couple or the photographer wants to submit something for it, then great. Let them do that. But my goal in creating something will never be just because I want to get published or land on a list. Yeah. And I think I used to think going back a few years that if, if then statement, right? If I get on the list, then I'll get these jobs. But that's not how it really works. It's the opposite. Like the, those lists don't change your life, right? They actually probably have more of a negative effect now to people that don't get on it. But the, the people that get on a lot of the bigger lists, like they're already doing the work and they're doing the work because they build relationships, they do everything the right way, right? So, yeah. Um, so it's just yeah. more money. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing, just and maybe we don't agree on this specific thing, and that's okay. Community over competition, right? You know, that's I, I would give some people say it and don't mean it, but I mm -hmm. would say there's two types of competition, and I've I've seen it, I've experienced it with photographers that are so focused on the competition that they are just competing, and they're competing, yep. and they're stepping over, and they're pushing people down. I've seen it. I've had right. friends that have experienced it. We don't need that. And what's unfortunate is that they don't realize that everyone's seeing that, right? They're, see they're seeing you step over people. But then there's also competition as, as someone like yourself that was an athlete. There's competition that is we can step in here and we can compete. We can also be best friends at the same time. My best friends in school were the people that we went to war. I mean – you know, um, I wrestled in high school and college. The people that were my friends, dear friends, 
we stepped in, we wanted to kill each other, and then we stepped out and we admired each other for being in that circle. And so even if it's not for a list, I can have friends who I know like, hey, maybe not the same exact job, but we're in the same arena. We're both competing. It can be There can be camaraderie in competition if it's done the right way, but not the other way. Right. And, and I agree. So even using that sports example. So the thing is, yes, competing in, in that mindset, the, the thing to, to pay attention to is that whether or not a person wins, everyone's still getting paid. Yep. You see what I'm saying? So regardless if you like if I think about football, regardless if you win the Super Bowl or not, you're still being you're still getting paid. Yep. And I think that that's the that's the difference that people don't understand is that they feel that they have to be the end all be all to everybody. And that is not the case. And we all, when, when, when I think about community over competition, that means everybody's getting fed. Everybody is able to sit at this table and enjoy and reap the benefits of this industry because we won know our avatar and know who to actually go after yeah and two are willing to be able to refer business to other people because we think about equality and equity and when we don't think of it in that mindset then we have the situation where we're in now where people are just fighting over trying to get a client and yeah. i don't want to be in that world right no it's spot on i mean why are we actually doing this? Why do I actually try to learn how to market better and sell better and go and shoot a wedding? And yes, I love it. Do I love being away from home for four or five days? No, but this is my business. It provides opportunities for my family. So I can enjoy competing, but that's not, that doesn't matter if I lose. If we're, if we're, if we're killing it and life is good, then great. That's the whole thing, right? So you can, yes, it depends on where are you putting your priorities. If it's all, if your identity is wrapped up in the competition and if I lose then I'm a failure, why, why are you even doing this? You know, right. go get a nine to five or something, right? True. We all can win. Yeah, for sure. That's the thing. Yes. There is, you have to separate what win means, mm -hmm. right? So we can all make a bunch of money and be winners and be right. killing it, bring our industry together, have a great life and, and win in that sense. Yep, and if absolutely. there's these micro competitions or whatever that are fun or silly or whatever, that can be great, but maybe yep. we, we don't need those, right? Like we said with the list, maybe we don't even need those competitions because they're maybe have become superficial. Right. That maybe, I mean, they have and, yep. and not necessary. Right. I agree. Awesome. man. This is amazing. I, I can tell you, you know, I was excited to talk to you. We talked before and there was a few things that we were going to uh, get to, which we did, but there were two or three things I was not expecting. I, I learned a lot. There's, you know, this is what I love about conversation is you come in open-minded. Someone says something you go, oh crap, I didn't think about that. Let's talk about that. Um, so again, thank you so much for your time. Um, thank you for having this conversation and yeah, just being so ready to, to jump in and talk with me today. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Lance. I really appreciate being able to uh, do this podcast with you. I really appreciate it.